do this for a living. Like, it's like, I was like, when you're going over the notes of, uh, you know, what we should do, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to let Jay mostly just kind of lead the, <laughs> the podcast. I've only done it a couple of times. So I'm still, still learning. I mean, you're, yeah, you're a pro, man. Uh, uh, I do a lot of podcasting. Uh, it's true, actually. <laughs> In fact, I have to put on my other nice soundproofing thing. Hang on. This goes oh, around the computer, gets the yeah the bounce off of the corner wall. Yeah, no, my main plan for this year was to was to launch a podcast, and we got it to a good place. And I don't know if you that CNN thing like dropped in my lap, they're and like, they're like, oh. "Hey, want to be on this TV show?" They're like, "All right, well, maybe <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll think about that a little bit." Maybe yeah, we'll see. But I'm on twice next week, so um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I mean, one way I'll kind of just jump in and introduce you a little bit now is just, just to say that, like, like, I think we are the same Enneagram type, but you are like the, the Enneagram seven that like is literally like the, like it's the Enneagram seven. Cause like, you know, they talk about Enneagram seven as like the Renaissance person who like can do a million different things, like no different chapters of their life. And so you're just saying like, you know, you used to, you know, you're, you're a journalist, but you're also a lawyer, you're an LGBTQ, like, uh, activist. And then, you know, you just sent me the screenplay that's like already like uh, heads and shoulders above the screenplays that I've read over the years. And, um, I mean, you can, do, you can do anything and everything you have done, everything, everything. And, and, uh, so it's not a, a doctor, not a doctor. Not a doctor. Oh, well, your parents, you know, they, but- yeah. Actually, I just put on Facebook um, at the start of the pandemic. So like literally two years ago, I was on, I did a TV thing and I was misidentified as a professor at Harvard I Medical School, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which I'm definitely not in any way. <laughs> but I feel like you're a spiritual doctor. I think one of the things you want to talk about was, uh, you know, like sexuality and how that's transmuted into, you know, spiritual health and psychological health. So I feel like, you know, there is like, there's some doctor in you for sure. There's sure. Some- you know, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, uh, the the, re- the reason why i think we met hey you were like covering haggadahs and i didn't yeah. know you. and i was in this i think when i wrote the trump haggadah i was in a i was in an angry place in life like i don't know we didn't really know each other then but i was like i wrote that haggadah like out of like pure rage against trump whereas like now like i don't i kind of like like him a little bit i know it's weird to say like i like kind of like at least understand him and why he like i feel like at least i understand him why he is who he is and i like don't like want him to like, you know, like the worst possible thing to happen to him all the time. And uh, I don't know if I can say that on the, whatever. But before I used to really want that, that was like the goal of that book in a way, even though it didn't seem like that. But, and then now, now um, I'm much more chill. But I remember when you like, you like, I think you like reviewed like that book or Yada Yada Haggadah. And I like, I didn't know who you were. I just had, I just in general, like whenever anybody was in my life like I just had an automatic response to them was like I don't I was in competition with them or didn't like them like that's just mm. my natural response to life it was like it's completely opposite now it's like I love any potential person in my life but you then, don't want to record this part are we recording this part oh this is all recording. Are recording yeah, this yeah, part. yeah. This is all, all right so we can use here. this all right okay that's well, great. yeah we're going into it so I know I just this is just my natural state for a long time was like anybody who entered my life was a competitor someone to be angry about I, it just was it's very bizarre retrospect but then um after the you know the awakening after the yada 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 Hagata, um that 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 may after that book came out in april or, or march um all the changes started to happen and then you reached out at a certain point later after i had a lot of those changes and wrote that book spiritual instagram and um then we just became like you know 
mentor friend type vibe. Like you just kind of walk me through what you thought I might be going through. And uh, yeah, I mean, getting to know you has been like, I mean, like getting to know anybody in the world, actually. Like if you have your, if you change who you are inside, then you can unlock like the good in most, most people. I mean, again, go back to Trump. Like, I don't, you know, I haven't met him yet, but like, um, so I don't know, maybe you could jump in and like, like, yeah, no, I mean, I love that. Uh, that's that narrative is accurate as to the facts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it was like, you know, as I've said a few times, like there, there's only a few, you know, a very small percentage of people who are interested in like the certain vibe of spiritual practice that you have done. Actually, now as you're in the post period or the integrate, whatever post, whatever period, I don't know, like yeah. you're actually a little more, I think, resonant with like what a lot of people are into, like what you just said right. about, you know, right. your own stuff and what are you putting out into the world and that kind of thing. And like, but yeah, so I just, just was intrigued also because like me, you have had at that time, but still have, but had like superficially irreconcilable aspects of your life <laughs> and they're not irreconcilable and i i know that from my own experience but like it's like wait a minute so you're working at like you know a pretty powerful place in hollywood right but also do it you know and doing like the humor stuff on the side that that's congruent right like everybody has their like you know yeah. their fun side project but yeah. then like right the pretty intensive spiritual practice and like the exploration the instagram book was really good like I think you said in the emails before this that you know not too many people read it, but I think it's fascinating, and I I'm I like yeah. hardly wanted to steal it and like I should do this like you know but yeah. like you already did it so I didn't need to yeah, yeah. no no because like there is like there is like you brought the humor to it as well as like a pretty intense grokking of the like the non dual piece right. you know yeah. and like I some mean... of the paradoxes of that. Yeah. So yeah. that, that for me, was like super attractive, just, you know, like, on a, like intellectual, spiritual level. And then, yeah, I don't know. And then, you know, I think I remember, and you, I'm sure you remember, you know, you're like, were pretty high for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, sober yeah. high for those listening, like it was yeah. right on enlightenment and like that always morphs. Like it doesn't always morph to something bad. It just does always morph. Like it never, it doesn't stay in that ecstatically and some people do stay there for many months i mean you stayed there for many for, a, for a while yeah it was it was and you had a breakup right wasn't that after the enlightenment yeah i mean part of like my understanding of all that too is that um like if you talk about enneagram seven like we and, and if you look at that i don't know i mean i know you're aware of enneagram but i don't know how much you you study I'm, your... I'm pretty i'm pretty into it yeah yeah so i think that like sevens potentially like they they don't process pain and then the result they flip into like the opposite pleasure state is like my understanding in a certain way so I, like i don't even know how much of my enlightenment you know is real sometimes because it's like it's like was i just not processing that pain and just like in a complete mm -hmm. overwhelm of like pleasure and then that gets tricked into being enlightenment or whatever i don't know i mean like maybe you can speak more to the science i mean I don't, you're not you're not a doctor but like do you have any idea what i mean where, where it's like the no, absolutely I was going through just got like completely but you know then again like you look at like eckhart toll was a real influence because he was like i was in so much pain in my life that like i laid out on the on the bench and all of a sudden like it just like flipped into like you know complete pleasure for a year and that's was kind of my experience it was like it was just so much pain for my dad dying from the end of my marriage that 
it just flipped for like a really, really long period of time. And then it, it hasn't like gone back to how it was in the, in the sense that like that angry person inside, even though people would look at me, didn't, didn't really realize that or like that, um, that anxiety all the time, or that just kind of like inner voice that was so strong. That's really like not, not there anymore. So it does have like lasting integrative effects. Um, but that's been my experience of you. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're separated by a continent, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, definitely in the times we've been in touch, like that's, that is the sense I get. I think your point about like the bliss or pleasure, you know, masking over, Right. You know, the pain, like that's obviously that's spiritual bypass 101. Again, for people who don't know what that is, if they're listening, like, yeah, can you explain that more clearly? Yeah, I would, I would like yeah. to hear the version of spiritual bypass. Yeah. So you can, you know, with, with good spiritual practice, you can get to a, some really good states, like incredible, you know, mind and body states, and even like some real insights into like the nature of reality. Um, but those insights and that, those, certainly those states, like don't actually make you less of a dick. Right. So like, that's like a different line of development. Like, it's like, you could right. think of it this way, like, I mean, and there is a sort of common assumption and then people get disillusioned when it turns out not to be true, like in their teachers, for example, that like, oh, this person is so advanced, like spiritually, how right. come they suck or how come they had a sex scandal or how come they, you know, had a money thing, like whatever, like, and you know, I can see, obviously, if a spiritual teacher puts themselves out as like, I am fully perfect or whatever, then sure, you know, that disillusionment is quite justified. But, you know, in my own experience, that of my students and that of my teachers, like, that's kind of a mistake. You know, you wouldn't think like, if you get really good at meditation and become enlightened about the impermanence of all things, that you'd be a gourmet chef, right? Like, or that you could, you know, be a better athlete or whatever, Right. Yeah. So like those are skills. Those are different skills of different lines of human development, like on the body or whatever, you know, the, yeah. the various skills of being a chef. And um, those don't like I guess there is, again, a pretty sort of common understanding that like the the ethical should be part of the spiritual, but right. it doesn't happen automatically. Like it has to be like incorporated in. And so there's a lot of people who out there who and then I think in the popular media, the assumption is that these like abusive cult leaders or whatever are just con men, right? So like, they're just charlatans. They're like making stuff up. Right. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, like no. they actually probably yeah. have attained some like big, you know, state, definitely charisma is like a thing. We don't really know what it is yet. It's Western science at least, but like, you know, when you meet, you know, again, like in your line yeah. of work, you meet celebrities or whatever. These are people who may or may not be awakened in any way, but there's charisma as a thing, you know? And yeah. Donald Trump, actually, since you mentioned him, is a good example of that. Like, yeah. I have a very negative opinion of him, but there's no question that he has, like, the charisma. He, can, he has this intuitive ability to read a crowd and even individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You know, Bill Clinton was like that also, a different side of the political spectrum, but also had, like, you know, a ton of charisma and like I met him and it's like, he makes you, he looks at you and you feel like you're the most important person in the world. It's like, <laughs> wow. So like those things are real, but they don't come with any, you don't, you don't get to skip oh, yeah. over the ethical part. You know, you yeah, still could yeah. cheat on your wife. You could still, you know, destroy the country. Yeah, yeah. Still, yeah. So I think like back to what you originally said, like, so that's the spiritual bypass thing. And you meet in the spiritual world, all kinds of assholes. 
more men than women, but also plenty of women. There was like a famous um, Kundalini yoga instructor, female who kind of went off the deep end, not just on anti-vax, but on like COVID as a conspiracy and like that whole basically QAnon stuff. Right, right. And I don't doubt for a moment, and a friend of mine actually studied with her for many years. Wow. Like, I don't doubt her accomplishment as a Kundalini teacher and as, and as a yoga teacher. Like I, I'm sure she does, did, she died actually, but had this like, you know, ability to transmit that energy but it doesn't come with, you know, discernment or intelligence yeah. or whatever. So that's spiritual bypass in a nutshell. And as to you, you know, I had like, I would say I had a little concern about that and like I voiced it and it was kind of voiced yeah. in, the, in the language of like, Hey, don't get too attached to this awesome spiritual state. Cause you know, right. at some yeah. point it will evolve and morph into something else. And hopefully I was clear at that point, it, it doesn't, you know, Jack Cornfield has a key book about this called oh, After the Ecstasy yeah. of the Laundry. Laundry, yes, yes, yeah. And the only thing like, so I love that book and I think it's super, super important for people when they get to a certain level of seriousness of spiritual practice. And by seriousness, I don't mean it's dour serious. I just mean like level right. of commitment, like spending a lot of time. And, but there is also like, even in the title and in the case studies, like his, he was interested in people who really like, you know, hit bottom after these experiences. Yeah. And that does happen, right? But it doesn't always happen, right? So I, I hopefully wasn't being prescriptive with you, like, hey, the shit's going to drop out. You're going to, you're, <laughs> you're going to hit, like, because I, and I think, again, it's not, this is nothing against Jack. It's like, that was the book he wanted to write was like, he was seeing this in his students again and again and again, people would get to it, like really powerful openings yeah. and then crash. And, but it doesn't always crash. It can sometimes just kind of morph into something weird, but yeah. yeah so I didn't, so. Well, I, one thing I would say yeah. too, like, I think like I've, I've met teachers who they, they will channel the thing and then, then you'll meet them in the, re the regular part of that day. And then they'll be like, you know, like completely not, 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 not ethically, you know, like a, in a totally fucked up way, but just like, you know, just little like egoic things. I think I think what I was gonna say is I think like you gotta kind of stay in your lane within the the when you're integrating the spiritual things like I'm just a humor writer like I am kind of through and through like it's part of who I am and so like being self-deprecating about my experience like pretending to know and then realizing that I you don't know but you do still know something you know it's like kind of like you talk about uh charm and like you ever seen the movie The Master I'm assuming you've seen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, like that movie like the surface level analysis that is like okay. Tom, you know, he's like saying that Scientology is so bad, so bad, so bad. We, we're making fun of making fun of it. But actually, like, you look at the arc of that character, like, you know, Walking Phoenix starts that he's unable to talk to anybody, not have a relationship with any, any woman. And the guy is a charlatan. He is like a, you know, charismatic, you know, whatever. Uh, but then at the end, after the relationship's over, he ends up like being able to take a woman out and, and show her a good time. Like he has like improved his life in some way by their inter their interaction. And even though it is a cult, it is whatever, like there is like real value to some of what their exchanges were, you know? So I think like, I get, I guess what I'm saying is like, regardless of how much I can say or not say my experience was real or not, I do know that I have improved and I continue to do practices and I continue to like, people do notice the difference. People in my life, what are you doing? You're just reading books, you know? You're, <laughs> like, you're like, you, even you, people in my life are like, who is this, like, rap? This is not a rabbi. <laughs> like, you know, like, you're a rabbi. <laughs> so this, yeah, but like, like, is this a rabbi? Like, who is this person who you're talking to? Or you, you know, you're interested in? And, um, and so kind of, but then after a while, like, I think the main thing was like how my external self started to change in relationship to the internal. Like, I, like, I, 
I don't know if we saw each other visually yet, but I was like 218 pounds. And then yeah, yeah. No, fell, yeah, fell, remember, like, yeah. fell away. Um, and I'm down to like 165 now. And then, you know, maybe we could just go into it is like, I think a big part of that honestly was because you, you 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 you, focus, you wanted to focus a little bit on like seed retention. I know we're gonna we could talk about Haggadahs things like that, and I am <laughs> a little bit, but like I I do I I think we have a very different perspective on sexuality because I think sexuality and spirituality were very important. Maybe you could talk about your relationship to sexuality and spirituality because I think you know first, and then we can talk about what I, what I've been doing, how they're different. Yeah, let me. I just I want to before that transition happens, yeah, like yeah, just put sure. like a little bit of a more of a so. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I there's no like there's never going to be a time where anyone gets like, you know, a, a, a like a Boy Scout badge for your spiritual achievement. Right. Yeah, and yeah. like there are traditions that do that. And I actually think that's a really good idea. Like in Zen, you know, you get to a certain level of enlightenment and you get an Inca, you get this like you get a certificate like you're enlightened. Right. And like you know, in a funny way, like, you know, clergy ordinations are similar. It's it's not about enlightenment, but you, you've reached a level of knowledge or whatever. And like, you know, now you have the thing. And I sort of, at first, certainly in the Jewish frame, I put that off for a long time because I was like, I didn't want to hold that. I didn't want that weight of that. And then at a certain point in my life, you know, it became like something that would open doors rather than close them. So I guess I was 42 when I got rabbinically ordained. But anyway, like, so there are these external things which society has created, you know, different communities have created, but you'll never get that. So like, to me, I just turn to like every teacher who's worth their salt, you know, in history and how they evaluate it. Right. So like Jesus said, you know, by your, by their fruits, you shall know them, you know, like mm -hmm. by their fruits, meaning like, so you plant a tree is like, is this a real olive tree or, you know, not like does it make olives, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are there olives yummy, you know, yeah. that's how, you know, and like, in your case, to me, it was really clear, like, and this is a good transition to the cedar tension thing, because I think, you know, you were looking at a lot of stuff, right, you were looking at your, your grief, you're looking at your anger, you were like, working with your body, right, and the body connected to sexuality, and like, working with shame around the body, like, in various different ways that you were very open about and vulnerable about, about which I thought was great. So like, even if those hadn't led to like weight loss, <laughs> improved energy and happiness, just the fact that there's like, there's the turning of the attention to these parts of the, of, of life, like that to me was an obvious fruit, so to speak of, of awakening, right? Like, and the way, and I think it is also in my experience, there's a good book, you'd actually really enjoy this book um, by Robert Foreman, who's both a scholar and a practitioner called Enlightenment Ain't All It's Cracked Up To Be. Uh, okay. And he was a TM guy and he got, he attained, and you know, in TM, Transcendental Meditation, they do have like a lot of these merit badges and went through it and then got, and did get to some pretty advanced levels. And then, yeah, all the, there was like the rest of life. And so he really, he wrote that whole book about, um, uh, it wouldn't be after the ecstasy, the laundry, it would be like after the ecstasy, the like, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, he became a professor uh, of mysticism. He wrote a really important book for me personally called The Problem of Pure Consciousness, which yeah. I read when I was like 19 or 20 or something. And which really, you know, there's a debate in the mysticism academy world, like the people who study this academically, and I was one of those people. Um, you know, what do we make of some of these accounts? How can we understand them? We want to like be, be, not just respectful, but like we want to like understand these accounts of profound mystical experiences and stuff on their own terms, but we also want to use analytical tools to. Yeah, you know... you're very much about that. Yeah, your your book. So that's 
Yeah. Yeah. That's in my own writing too. So he was, so Foreman is like on one side, he's on the like more practitionary side of that, of those debates. And a lot of other people are on the like, we can't say anything about this, or, you know, there's really no way that we can analyze anything. And, he, and anyway, so he wrote that very important book and it's just a great, so I think this was me putting a pin or a- I was gonna say, one like, thing to add to that is like, I feel like Deepak Chopra says something really interesting that always stuck with me is that with, with some of my work that you've read a lot of is that synchronicity is actually one of the signs of like awakening and of, you know, mystical experiences that like they keep, the more they keep happening, the more they keep like happening to you and people around you, like that is a sign that you are on the, either on the right path or that you are awakening because like the, the practice of doing the synchronicities on the shuffle, you know, it's, it's continued, even though I don't write about it every day, it's continued like all the time. You, you asked about the Billy Joel concert. I haven't told this story yet because I haven't got it on, onto the shuffle yet, but you're like, there's so much emotionality in that Billy Joel concert. That, and, um, and what, what happened was, I'll just tell the story now because it maybe comes out better auditory wise is that we, we, my sister, we chose this date to go to for her to visit, to go see Billy Joel. Cause like my dad, he, the first three CDs he ever gave us, one of them was Billy Joel, a double album. And it became a family album. Like it was just like whatever we listened to all the time. Cause it was like a five CD changer, as you remember in the cars, like, they, you know, they didn't have, you yeah. couldn't have like an iPod even or the radio. Yeah, was yeah. Like, and so that was our album. That was just, it was as a family. The greatest, that's one, that double album. Yeah, the greatest, the greatest, double greatest yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we go, we, we got horrible seats. Like I just, whatever I could afford, you know, I thought like SoFi was going to be more like Hollywood Bowl where, you know, nuts not really a bad seat, but we are in like the nosebleed. So we get to the front and this couple, or they're a guy and a girl and um, they come up and they're like, do you guys have uh, floor seats? And we're like, we yeah. are not on the floor. <laughs> no, we're not on the floor. And then, then he's like, now you do. And he just slaps two floor seats into my hand and wow. they away. And I, I was a little over overwhelmed. So I just kind of asked the ticket person. I was like, so which is which which should I use? Like I didn't I know a concept for for some reason by floor would be better than whatever we had. And they looked at the two tickets and they were like, like obviously, like go to the floor, like do not go to like you know, the 300th or whatever row. Oh, whatever. so you weren't yet up in the nosebleeds. No, you no, were like, like, uh -huh. like were in the entry or whatever. Entryway. Yeah, they just, and so they were walking down to the floor and this is a little sidebar, but just my sister did not know what had happened. She just was not paying attention. So she just was like confused why we're like going. To be honest, speaking about charm, she always thinks I have like such charm life. So like- Well, she, this definitely is good evidence for that. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, so then she's like, I need to use the restroom. I was like, let's see, let's see them go out here. And then like, they, they see our red arm men that we got because of the floor seats and they let us out into the VIP section and she goes to the bathroom and then we're like in the VIP section. And then I'm, and she, I'm like, do you want to stay here? Or do you want to go, go down there? And she's like, well, this is pretty good with the VIP section. Cause you, and then I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's go down there. And then we go down to the floor area and it's like a hundred yard football field. You know, it's a big, big mm -hmm. football mm -hmm. field. So we could be anywhere on the floor I mean, and I keep showing the ushers the ticket and they're like, no, 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 like keep, keep going like, <laughs> get closer, get closer to the stage. And finally we get to like the 25th row and we meet up with the people. They're laughing. They're like, yeah, we just like chose you guys. We just thought like you should come to this, like these seats with us. We got like, he's a mixer uh, of like Stevie Nicks is like assistant mixer and like many, like little Wayne. Oh, wow. so, so he had like Stevie tickets or whatever. That's like, how... like, 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 yeah, like band tickets. <laughs> working that job and um but then like it gets weird because uh it gets weird dude it's already very weird uh, sorry yeah so the woman <laughs> the woman is like a musician and she's like crying during cv nick and then at intermission she's like 
she's like she's like so stevie nicks is like the the musician that my mom turned me on to that like like oh wow Like you and Billy Joel, yeah. Yeah, who like, who like got me into music. And then I'm like, well, that's like why we came, you know, because of my dad and because of, you know, our dad. Uh, and, and then it gets even weirder because she's like, well, my mom passed away. You know? know and then like it's not until the encore that we get to this part which is that like like she shares that her mom died of uh of a suicide <laughs> too of a suicide but not just like a regular you know there's many kinds of suicides but a similar suicide to my dad where my dad had uh kidney failure from the medicine he took the psychiatric medicine he took like building up and stuff and so his suicide was was mental health related. So like he did have whatever bipolar that we you know we may or may not have had, had both of us. But he did kind of choose to die because of you know the kidney failure and what it was doing to our family and, and himself. And so she had a similar thing. She had cancer. She just, she had a uh, liver failure. She decided to take her life. So, so it was the same like reason. And it was also 2019, same year. Hmm. And it was the same month, February 2019. So sort of just like freaking <laughs> out. Like, you know, that yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah. Because this felt like so, the, the yeah, they were like obviously they like gave you these tickets. Tickets, like you know, how all, all like thousands of people did they choose us to go with them? And, and so yeah, we kept a little bit in touch. And, like you know. And I don't know, it was just like one of those things. So um, the, long, the long way of saying this is like, these synchronicities were not part of my life. You know, in the same in the same way at all. I mean, really at all. I want to go back to the synchronicities thing because it's an edge issue for me. And by edge here, I mean like where I get uncomfortable, but in a good way. Like okay. not an unsafe, uncomfortable, or just a like, but where I start getting like a weird feeling of like weirdness. Um, is around some of the like woo-woo sides of spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah. So by woo-woo side, I just mean woo-woo being like the way that, you know, conventional Western reality operates is like wrong in some respect. <laughs> so this would be one of them, right? So like yeah. something happens. So it is my, so what's funny about me 
here's what's funny about me. What's funny about me is like I simultaneously have a lot of these experiences and continue to doubt them. And this is one example. So like the synchronicity thing. So like my first gut response is a doubt response of like, well, you're just noticing. It's just pattern recognition. You're just like, look, you're noticing coincidences more. But that isn't my actual experience. <laughs> my actual, like, my actual experience. If I look, and it, it's fun. It's fun that you did it like almost scientifically. Like before, this was not happening, and now, and that's my experience too. Like the more closer I get to operating from, in some degree of alignment, or that quality or aspect of ourselves that is plugged in and connected, and you know, loving and wise and and, and expanded mind, all those that thing. The closer I am, it is true that I do find like more synchronicity things happening. And, um, you know, look, even in my career, right, it's like, and we do know in some cases, there's like a Western explanation, right? And in relationship and in sexuality, there's one too, right? Like when you're like needing something too much, you're too thirsty, too hungry, sexually, I mean, you know, the other person can feel that, right? You're like coming up to them at a bar and they're like, and you're like, yeah right it's not whereas when the person is like kind of self-contained in a way and like they feel good they're maybe they're interested maybe they're expressing interest but they're not like you know reaching and grabbing that's you know there seems to be like a a physical hormonal thing that happens right so like but it's not just that right like i do find more i mean i don't i still don't have as many weird experiences as one you just described although i can meet your weird experience by telling you that my mother uh died not by choice but a little bit of kidney failure related to chemotherapy and it was um 2016 2015 january 2015 and she she didn't t- take her own life actively, but she did decide to stop doing treatment because it was yeah. just not, you know, she'd had cancer and we she was very, she put on a really good fight. Like she really worked hard uh, throughout 2014 and either the cancer or the chemo caused the kidney failure. We, we'll never know which, but like then it was kidney disease and the doctors were like, well, here's what we can do, yeah. you know, and she just decided not to do that. And we were, my sister and I were very supportive of that uh, decision. And um so even there were a little bit synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, synchronistically yeah. aligned. I can com- right. I can compare right. the two, a little mix of your father and her mother. But no, that does explain it. It's funny that I have this lightening up a little bit, but like I I have this funny also relationship with Billy Joel because I don't really much like him anymore. Yeah, but he was like, like he was like my favorite favorite. clearly you know i i think i said this in the email when i was 10 or 11 i was at camp ramad jewish summer camp Uh, and there was this guy who i guess he was like 19 or 20 but old right (laughs) and he had like a tiny little like a dinky kind of portable keyboard this was like the 80s right and he could play like any billy joel song and then he like went to the pianos that were in camp and he could play you know the billy joel song uh, prelude angry young man which is like the like really fast intro it's like very fast i don't don't even know that one yeah Uh, well yeah so i can now play that fucking song (laughs) actually it'd be fun to go to the piano and see if i still can it's been definitely 10 years since I last tried to play it. Yeah. 
anyway, so he was like the coolest guy. And now I look at this guy who's like, you know, some like nerdy Jewish guy and like <laughs> but whatever. At the time he was God, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I got into it through him. My first was it, oh, my first album may have been Pac-Man Fever, but my second one was the Nylon Curtain, <laughs> the Billy Joel Nylon Curtain, which is funny because it's kind of like a little more like it's not your typical Billy Joel album, but that was the one that was new at the time. Yeah, I have yeah. clear memories of dancing to it in my living room with my mom and like getting really into it. And then, I mean, I think I know every single Billy Joel song that exists. Like I could quote some lines from every song, wow. but, and then I've seen him a lot. It was also, he was my first concert. I saw him at Madison Square Garden. Oh, no way. Yeah. Does he play there monthly or something like that? 19 now. Yeah. This was way, this was a long, long time ago. I think it was 1982. Wow. So 1982, I was in Madison Square Garden. My sister, for some reason, we sat actually like where the press usually sits. Like so there was like a little tables in front of us, or whatever. Like, yeah. I guess maybe for sports setups, that's where the you know the reporters are, or whatever. So we sat there and like, yeah, that was you know a peak experience wow. at age uh, eleven or whatever. Um, and then guy. you know his like his life is like he, he's kind of a jerk in certain ways and like yeah, what is that you know, why you stopped liking him? No, I think you know, like I just outgrew him. You know, I don't. His music's not really that good in certain ways. Like he's obviously a master of the pop song, right? And like has a way, but you know, the lyrics are a little cheesy. Like whatever. I'm still not. I'm not anti. I'm definitely like. I'm not a hater by any means but like so i have a fondness for him in my heart because just that's where he was in my life You know, this I don't. Is, this put is what I'm going to say is you. You talk in your book Enlightenment Trial by Error. You talk about how they're like a part of uh, the oneness awakening is like losing that judgment, aesthetic judgment. Mm. Remember that from your intro really? to your book? Yeah, you talk about like <laughs> no, no. You talk about that like I'm still so judgy. Judgment, but that like for me, part of that was I had so much studying of aesthetic judgment. Like I was a, a screenplay analyst at the talent agency for many years, and I would have to like you know, read tons of them every week. And, and, and I was a book reader or a company in publishing before that. And so like, I had such aesthetic judgment about music and, and all culture that like, it was like debilitating. And now mm. to be free of that is like, that's like, that's like one of the biggest things is like, I just love every piece of content and media. I can find the value in anything. And so like, you're right. Like I, you're, I was telling my sister this like 10 years ago, if we had saw Billy Joel, I would have been like, Oh, like I would have been maybe not saying the way you are, maybe even I would say it worse. I'd be like, ah, like this is like I can't, I can't listen to this. Like this, this is no good. Like 
I understand all the reasons why he's cheesy. Yeah, let me, let me be clear. Like, if, if yeah, 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 Billy Joel exactly. tickets dropped in my lap right now, A, I would go, and yeah. B, I'd have a great time. He, yeah, I, I okay. think for similar reasons, like he offers what he offers, you know, like yeah. he may, this is what's funny about Billy Joel. Like, I think he like thinks sometimes of himself, like I am Paul McCartney or whatever. And <laughs> like, he's just not, but like, okay, fine. <laughs> what he offers, including its cheesiness. Just want to do a little disclaimer. You, you got it, Billy. You know, like scenes from an Italian restaurant, right? This like right. epic song. Yeah, he had an once, opera singer during this. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. At once, like really brilliant. Oh, was she doing the like the part, the high part, like uh, like the vocal part? Yeah, of literally, the, there was like there. an operatic singer was brought out for like the intro, and then also an interlude in the middle of it. Just, yeah, that like, interlude. Really, yeah. Like separate, uh -huh. like like from the rest of the writer recording. Yeah. Interesting. Just, uh, yeah. So like, you know, that song, like, pretty cheesy in a lot of ways. It's also totally brilliant. Bohemian Rhapsody, a similar epic from that period. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? You know, similar in certain yeah, ways. Yeah. Also, like, there's some cheesy elements, but like, come on, man, that's just like the definition of a classic, at least Bohemian Rhapsody is, right? Like, Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not like into him, into him. Like, you know, right. I was listening to like chill wave and like electronic music this morning and like getting ready for today. But I'm like, I don't think I've ever put on Billy Joel in that context. But like, you know, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the only kinds of, there's only a few kinds of music that I can't 
really get into and probably we have a difference on this a little bit you know where there's like real like violence and or misogyny in the music like I'm not canceling it from a cancely perspective. I just like, I just do not. And you know, that includes like a lot of really good hip hop, right? Come here, let me put it to you like this, sugar. Don't go changing. Out of this, man. Don't change the color of your hair. Yeah, yeah, say yeah, no, yeah. no, no. I just want someone that I can talk to. It's funny because like I want to like first of all I want to be sensitive to like any like race elements so I might use Eminem as my example right since he's like the white guy but like so I want to be aware of that but also like it just you know and like what's the weirdest example of that actually is like a lot of like reggae and reggaeton and stuff because like the, so you know jamaica has a lot of homophobia in it basically and a lot of the stars are pretty are not so great not like bob Marley or people like that but like you know a lot of the more edgier uh, musicians not like i support a gear lifestyle but i cannot condemn it because every man have a right to decide his own destiny there it feels like almost a little bit personal but like we don't want to offend nobody so anybody that we offended back in the days yeah, so on the misogyny and violence stuff it's just like right. i don't know like i don't want those vibes you know and and again like i'm copying to whatever dumb prejudices i may be incubating here but like other than that though you know even country music you know even where i know that the musicians are like i don't see the world the way that they see it i can still totally like i i see it this is going to sound funny but this is why i'm going to say it it's very similar to religion for me because so like when I read like I just was in an exchange with a student of mine uh, this week and he's doing a thing. There's a really cool project called Torah Ta, which is it just genders, switches the gender of everything in the Torah. Like that's uh, all it does. It just switches every gender. Right. So every time it's like a, it's a man, it's a woman, vice versa. God, of course, is female. Torah Ta literally means her Torah. And yeah. like they don't it's not like filled with like commentary. It's just like look at how different this is when it's changed. And my student wrote me this thing of like, you know, is it okay to like, you know, change the canon in this way? And I was like, I don't really see, I don't operate with the idea of canon anymore. Like it's like, you know, when I see an, an offensive text in a, in a religious context, like I'm not interested in reconciling my life to that text. Like that, that text is, is not, is not operative for me, but also that's not the end, right? where I think it's similar to Billy Joel is um, I am interested in like, what would it be like to have a belief in this text that was nourishing or like, why would someone ever say this? So I'm doing some teaching at a Jewish holiday Shavuot in uh, here in New Jersey in a few weeks. And, and we're looking at like texts of resilience and like how making sense of difficulty. It's like one of those in the Jewish context, there's a prayer, which I'm sure, you know, but you know, there's uh, on Yom Kippur, which is like who, who will live and who will die, who by fire. Leonard Cohen has a great, you know, version of this. It's much better than the original in a song of his. And I don't believe in that at all. I don't have that view of that. There is this anthropomorphic deity that the anthropomorphic deity is, judging us and writing us in one book or another that our fate is ordained on Yom Kippur based on our morality and based on this like Old Testament morality and that this God, this deity even writes down 
you know, how you're going to die. Like that's, I don't have any belief in any of those <laughs> things, but I am really captivated or interested in how that could be supportive for someone. Like somebody wrote that. There's right. a whole myth, by the way, of how that was, how that poem was written, which I'll skip, but somebody wrote that as a poem and, and meant yeah. it. And yeah. what would it be like to like, so what's its self-conception? So for Billy Joel, like, you know, like I can appreciate what he's doing, like, and he's so good at so many things really, but like at these, at these things that he does, that like, that's more interesting to me than my own like or dislike. All right, well, you, we were going to do the, the sex part there to me again, like I'll use the word playing, but like playing with like different relationships to sexual energy for me again, feels like a good sort of personal growth, post enlightenment kind of thing to be doing, right? Because it's, it's very operative, especially as you're single again. Yeah. And, you know, in a world where, you know, and like, you know, I can, so my own, like, I don't, my relationship to seed retention in particular, which for people who are listening, right? It's like, I mean, your version, I like your version a little more where it's like only orgasming with another person. Right. So like that also makes those encounters kind of special in a certain way, although they can also be yeah. a little bit challenging. It's, I think my own here, I think I am just like trapped by my karma in a certain way, but I don't care. Like, I don't mind that I'm trapped because I like where I am. I'm not unhappy with my relationship to sexuality. Yeah. Um, and obviously I was very unhappy with it for like 10 years. You know, the, the force of those years of repression make, make it hard to feel like any good restraint is nourishing. Yeah. So in my experience of other people who have done this practice, seed retention and otherwise, like it's very can be very, very positive. Obviously on a micro level, on a day by day level, it involves like some, it's hard, right? At a certain point it becomes, I assume, um, you can tell me what your experience, but it becomes less hard, but like there is that those times where it's like choosing not to do something that would release this energy. Yeah. And that experience, which I have had, so like on meditation retreats, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expend sexual energy you know, at all, or like maybe if once when I went on a three month retreat, it actually, so that's a good example. Like on that retreat, I was being celibate, meaning no masturbation. Wow, yeah, yeah. So you and did it just like, well, it like, was so, yeah. it became so unpleasant. It was a real distraction. And so uh, I committed to a once a week thing and it was like on a particular day. So there wasn't any thinking about now. Right. Yes, no, yes, no. It's just like, okay. And it was literally, it felt very, um, I wasn't trying to make it affirming or nourishing. It was just like, okay, it's, it is affirming and nourishing. And it's like, this is good for my body. This is going to be good for my practice. Like it's not going to be, I wasn't going for like the hottest experience, you know, like getting, getting the porn set up or what I was just like. In the shower, like, okay, let, you know, let's take care of this. And it felt very, helpful in that way to just you know get to some more better energy balance but uh, before committing to that you know there was this feeling of like anything that feels like sex negativity for me feels feels not it isn't but it feels like oppression or repression right and so and you used to go back that's just, you think that's just my years, own history yeah it was those 10 years were when you were you know uh 
like not 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 with men you were just you were like yeah adult but in the closet so i would say it's really 15 years from like age whatever puberty age you know 13 ish to about yeah 27 28 so there were only a couple of times where i like was with men during that period i had a couple of girlfriends during that period i wasn't like meeting women to have sex with them because i didn't want to (laughs) but i was i was meeting trying to meet women to be in relationships with because i thought that's what i wanted in my life um and we there was sex in those relationships i wouldn't say it's like the best sex ever but like there was but like the amount of repression was much higher than the amount of expression. And even the expression involved repression because it was involved right. not being fully honest with another yeah, person. Right. Yeah, so it involved deception. Yeah. Right. So it involved lying. And yeah. that, you know, that just was so seared into my experience yeah. that I feel like of all of the various paths, I'd sooner give up food than give up sex. Like I, I just, and you know, maybe as I get a little older, obviously at, at 51, I'm almost 52. Like my sex drive is not what it was, which yeah. is maybe a good thing, <laughs> but you know, so it's less like frequent, urgent, et cetera. But for me, it's about, it is just the, the path that, that has worked for me has been one of affirmation, celebration, yeah. you know, what some people would call promiscuity and i would call delighting in yeah. this body isn't that also part of it too is like once you went through that expansion phase you just took on a, a life of like embracing the sensuality and connect connecting that to oh, I, had, I had so much good sex for so long it was so awesome it was all pent up right and then like in my thir- my 30s were in my 20s right because i didn't yeah, have that's my 20s what I'm going through. that's another uh, thing we talked about was like living your your 20s and your 30s yeah yeah yeah. And it was for me, like, you know, it was also like, you know, unfortunately, whatever, like gay male culture, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty youth obsessed and like, you know, hot, hotness obsessed. So like, I was still hot. Now I'm hot in a different way. Like there's like the whole daddy thing, which is sure. fine. I'll work, whatever works. But, you know, back then, yeah, it was, and I'm really, you know, now I'm, you know, I have a kid, I live in the suburbs, like, so like, it's, it's different now. (laughs) And I look back on those like experiences and I'm just so glad that I had them. Most of them I don't really want to have again. Like I don't need to have more threesomes in the back of a pickup truck at Burning Man, as good as those threesomes were many times, (laughs) not all on trucks, but trucks, tents, whatever. And, you know, but like, yeah, it's just like same with actually travel for me. Like I actually have no real desire to do a lot of traveling. There's like a few items on the bucket list, but like about I look food, back. Actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Like yeah. I used to be like obsessed with going to all the best restaurants, like wherever uh-huh. we traveled or in LA. And now like I I it's like it's like so it's like I've had everything. It's like soda, yeah. like like uh like candy, like I've had all the I mean, we, we can, but like, I, I mean, even fancy food, like I'll, I'll go with someone if they want to go to a nice restaurant, but I'd rather just like get rotisserie chicken and lettuce, like, or just. Uh-huh. Like, Interesting. Or like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause like those pleasures, it's interesting with food. Cause it's one of the few, the few pleasures that like doesn't diminish with age, generally speaking, right? Like traveling gets more tiring, sex gets less rewarding, but like food, like, but I could totally relate to that. I still do like, but it's true. I remember actually it was before my daughter was born. My my uh, my partner and I used to eat out a lot, and yeah. I do remember a feeling like it was like, is this all there is? Like good dinner? No, yeah. <laughs> like, it was like okay, like, and we could get like more critical about it, like, yeah. oh, you know, this really... fancy French restaurant isn't quite as good. We yeah. did when we went to um, yeah, when we traveled to Europe, which we haven't since my daughter's born. She's five now, so it's been five years. But like, 
we do go we went to some of the like you know michelin star fancy restaurants to just yeah. have that right. aesthetic experience yeah. but as you know it's you come out hungry a little bit it's definitely no, we went about the, the food we went to the number one like what's that guy massimo the guy the guy that's in like I, some of this stuff is like blanked out of my consciousness but like we went to like the number one restaurant that he had like the netflix special uh -huh. and it's like yeah, we were like critical, like of the number one place in the world, like because it was like it was like I don't know, it was just that it was the mindset. It was very judgmental, like yeah, yeah. So you could right, that's one way to do it. It's just say get more and more bitchy and critical. And the other way is like, yeah, I mean, you've explored. If it, I I feel like, and I I had this question arise for me a few months ago, like you want something to take its place, right? So yeah. like, okay, not into food, so like what are you into? Like, I think it is important to always have like some growing part yeah, of it. Like, I think I'm into people. Like I just love mm -hmm. people now. Like I, and, yeah. and before I, I, you know, just, just like kind of what you asked, like, what are people's stories? Like, what are the reasons why people do things? Like, you know, your book, I haven't read it, but the, the Jacob Frank, like people, so I read an interview, people were like, why did you choose this person? And he's so like deranged in certain ways, but like, you just found him like very, very interesting. Like, his choices were very fascinating. Maybe, maybe did you want to briefly describe him? Because he also had like a sexual element. Too. Yeah, there, it brings together a lot of the themes, including Trump that we've that we've talked about. Because Frank <laughs> is a little bit Trumpy. It was yeah. weird, you know. I started writing that. I started the research, the doctoral research, in the two thousands. I mean, it's been fifteen years that I've been working on it. And um, you know, when Trump arrived on the scene, let's say in twenty sixteen, in in his current incarnation, yeah. anyway. Yeah, the similarities were so disturbing. I was like sitting here with this book from the 17th century. So Jacob Frank was a heretic in the 18th century, rather, um, who led the largest mass conversion in Jewish history in 1759 and was very, took into uh, Christianity, was very, um, he was never a Christian. He was always a heretic and had his own very strange Western esoteric influenced theology of uh, transgressing all of the laws of religion. And that's like, that word is anti-nomianism. Anti-nomianism, yeah. Nomianism. And um, so yeah, I was reading this these texts from the 18th century, and it was so similar to like what because Frank was like an egoist. He's like, I am only I can lead you to. And I remember Trump said in 2016, only I can save the country. And I was like, this is getting weird, man. I don't know, like. Yeah. Uh, and it's true, you know. I think I don't know that. I think a lot of scholars view Jacob Frank the same way a lot of liberals would view Donald Trump, like this irredeemable figure. Like, why would you spend any time with him? But, you know, maybe unlike Trump, Frank also did did have these really fascinating, innovative, weird ideas, and um, you know, just a lot anticipated what a lot of us think, which is you know, religion's promises don't aren't true, and you shouldn't uh, hold back and you know your your entire life on the basis of some false promise yeah and um sexuality plays into that as a kind of expression of the human spirit so it's like this is part and he was what's perhaps most confusing there's so everything is most confusing about him but one another confusing element you know he's proto-feminist actually and so his daughter had a leadership role in the sect many women were sort of key leaders in the sect it pulled like power yeah, yeah in the 18th century so he had also a kind of this is sort of a slightly misogynist slightly this is sort of a misogynistic idea that like women are more in the body and men are more in like the spirit and the mind and but he turned it on its head it's yeah. like we need to be more in the body basically yeah. we men need to be yeah. more like women women is, is defined yeah. in that way yeah. and you know these are it was just what i've said on the, on those other interviews about the book is like I, I went to study Hasidism and, you know, this enlightened uh, rabbi who I was fascinated and who is, does play a key role, a big role in the book, Everything is God that I wrote a bunch of years yeah, ago. Yeah, I read that, yeah. But as an, as a scholar, 
I just, it wasn't interesting, you know, like there wasn't like, what's the question, you know, when you write a illustration, it's like, well, what's your question, you know, and I didn't like, no matter how innovative his ideas were, he was going to come back around to, you knew what the answers were going to be. It was going to come back around to validating his traditional religious practice. And when I was reading Frank in the library, I didn't even know that his work had been translated into English. And there's a, a not, not very good English translation, but there is an English translation. And I was just like, it, you never knew where anything was going to come out. It was so freeing yeah. and like radical and weird. And then, then as I read more, I became convinced that most scholars were wrong about him. So that's really exciting as a scholar yeah. or a journalist or whatever, when you feel like you, you're, you, you've discovered something. And yeah, it's funny. I, in, in, I was just about to put that book in the rearview mirror, you know, and I was very happy. I'm, I'm happy about it. It's a part of my life, that academic work. But, you know, as I'm sort of refocusing what I do with my time, like, I was like, okay, and then it won an award. <laughs> so uh, I was just being, I was just done with it. <laughs> and like, did the book tour, did those podcasts, whatever. And then like, then it won this award. So I don't know, it's not like people are banging down my door, wanting to hear more about Jacob Frank, but uh, it was funny. That, but then it, it did also like that award and the, cer the ceremonies just a couple of weeks ago, kind of like, put a nice bow on it, you know, right. like, okay, here's this, here's this work. And, and um, I don't, I look over my shoulder at the, the academic world, the religious studies academic world, because I do have a PhD and like, that's something I could have done. Yeah. And sometimes I have a like longing for it in an idealized way. But mm -hmm. the reality, if you know any academics in the humanities right. is so shitty, you know, that like, you get much writing done there. Huh? You don't get it's much hard. Yeah, the workloads are high. You know, it's the, the demands are really high. You know, the tenure system is kind of was always unstable, but it's kind of fallen apart. And so like a, a majority of instructors now are not on a tenure track. So your your employment is precarious yeah. and not well paid. And, and, you know, it's this weird political moment where like politically, like the right is attacking universities supposedly for being like hotbeds of wokeness or whatever. But what's really happened on the universities has been a huge shift away from any humanities. And the whole humanities, you know, the government funding is dried up, foundation funding is dried up, students aren't doing it as much because, you know, that's not, you can't, it's you know, in their mind for what yeah, if you're like going to drop $200,000 on some education, unless you come from a lot of money already, you know, you have to think about like what, I just remember when I was, you know, I went to college in the in the 90s and it was like, a much more irresponsible time, <laughs> you know, it was like, no, don't be a sellout. I remember like, I just read some piece by, a, I think it was a Gen Zer actually of like, how like Gen Xers were so worried about selling out. And like, we were so they naive. Sell in, in Gen yeah, Z. I know. They're like, please, like, I would, please, can I sell out? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, but it was true. Like at the time, like, so I was an English major reading stuff. And then I like, I was like, oh, well, I don't want to sell out. And like, oh, I was, that was whatever. whatever. Yeah. And like, so I didn't do that. But like now, again, you, people don't have the luxury of that. Most people who aren't already coming from wealth don't have that luxury of like, yeah, I want to follow my bliss and read poetry for four years. So like the humanities are really suffering. So it was this, it's funny because I'm like an outsider to that community, the academic, the hardcore academic community. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, going, going, going back to like pop culture and, 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 and spirituality and seed stuff. Like actually I went to this short film festival uh, last week. It was, um, it's, it's, it was at this place called Brain Dead Studios, and uh, this guy like Nick Hardwood directed the the final piece, and it was um, this short film called uh, called The Big Draw, and it was like people were really excited for it. He's like a big uh, uh, 
uh, music video director for like Sophie and Charlie XCX, like cutting edge, you know, uh, musicians. And the, the story was about seed retention. It was about a guy who like is in the dating, dating world and just having really bad sexual experiences and not getting his work done in college. And, and then he like finds this YouTube video for like a kind of like guru of this stuff, which is not, was not my experience. I just stumbled into this much more naturally but then he listens to the guru and starts, you know, not, not masturbating and starts doing the practices. That's something that I haven't done is like the sexual Kung Fu. I don't know. Are you aware of this kind of thing where yeah, you, yeah, like... I, I used to teach it. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Not, that, not with that, not that exact thing, whatever that term refers to, but okay. I, I, there's the thing called body electric, which uses uh holotropic breath work and erotic massage. And in my younger days, that was a, a big part. That of was, me. that was my thing. Okay. So so then, and then, yeah, so this is like, and then the story, you know, keeps going and, and he does go through the process of, of, of getting rid of uh, the pornography and, and, and increasing his stamina through that practice that we just, they just brought up. And, um, and he does have like a experience with a woman, but it's, it's, it's a very satirical movie. And the, the experience with a woman is very positive for him in certain ways. And then, then she like does this thing that where she, plays with his idea this idea of him not ejaculating like she she they have sex for like hours and hours and hours which was my experience when i did have a kind of, kind of around here but so he did he did have this experience where he like was with this woman and they had sex for hours and hours and hours and then she does this thing where she wants him to finally come and they play with that and then he does and then he has like this orgasm takes him to like a walden type place where it's just, that's the essay he's working on in college is like a walden essay and so I, I messaged the director and I was like, I love this, the, the sarcasm and the satire, but I also like sincerely went through this journey and I feel like there's like a nice edge here. And it didn't seem to be what that director, you know, he, he mentioned like, that's a fair reading, you know, that, it didn't seem like that was his reading, but hmm. like it is more and more in the culture of like, of, like this is a very pop culturally like uh, centered uh, film festival. And so like, I do think that this this stuff is growing into the mainstream more and more. Because one thing you want to talk about was, like, you feel like my connection to uh, spirituality and also, like, pop culture is, like, rare. But I think, like, I think, like, it's getting more and more not rare. Like, I think it's, like, especially in L.A., like, you're in New York. But, you know, we can go back to my particular experience. But, like, I think I think what was different for me was I had so much pornography growing up like i don't know did you because your your screenplay one of the things that spoke to me i don't know if we can talk about it on the, on the explicit level but pornography is like a main theme of of your of your screenplay i are we are we going to talk about it or no i can't i, can't. I don't know <laughs> I mean, you tell I, me I, what i'm supposed to do <laughs> I, I, I think it's cool i think it's cool to talk about things that are like in process and makes it like manifest better but you know your screenplay is a story about like what's, what's happening with like music downloading and pornography and gay rights and you know, all in like that early 2000s era that I remember very well. I grew up in that time. I was in high school then too. That was with the character in high school. And, but I think what was different about that for me was like pornography was just, it was imprinted from the first sexual experience was with pornography. And so that mm -hmm. never thought I could escape that. I just thought that that was just always gonna be part of my life because it had been a part of my life. And then it just complicated every, you talk about deception and lying in, in, in your sexual relationship. That's, that's what it felt like was deception and lying was that there's all these, while I was having relationships with, with women or people, they were just, these things would come up from the pornography that would interfere with the experience of myself with that person. And so I wanted to like finally get rid of that. And I actually like, I did read about NoFab. I did go on the message boards that I think 
this this movie was making fun of i didn't get so deep into it because i kind of figured out pretty quickly like well i have all this like physical pain after i watch pornography and like like it's like the, in my brain my brain is like hurting every time it must be some mm. sort of poison here like it's not mm. it also got into like weird and weird things because like i had a good sex life in different relationships but i wasn't able to be honest and be like i'd like to also like to try this weird fetish right i like to try this weird kink and right. so i would go to the pornography for that but the pornography is not like a safe place to like for me to engage in a lot of these kinks because it's not like someone is like caring about you and also engaging in the kink they're like no this is right. like this is like your, you know, humiliation fetish. This is your like, right, right. All the, all the things that are, you know, these are all legal things, but it's like all the things that they're doing to you are just can be, you have no control over it. You can't be like, actually, that's too much. Or like, can you say it like right. this? Can you? Yeah, like, no, exactly. Yeah. There's no safe word. <laughs> yeah. You have no yeah. Safe yeah. Word. Except so for pause, pushing the pause button. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then there's like all these, like, you know, people are editing them even more and more into like extremely uh -huh. fast. Oh, interesting. Updates, you know, and the reason, I, yeah. like, how about synchronicity? The reason why I quit the day. That's the TikTokization of porn. That's a, it is, it's yeah, terrible. It is unreal. It is like. This is the one thing I don't, I sound very old anytime I talk about TikTok, but like the, the, the speed of the cuts and whatever, the edits, and, ugh, I hate that so much. You know, it's anyway. the kind of pornography I'm talking about where it's like. Yeah. I, I actually I've seen a few I don't even I don't stay on that for long because that's it is, just not it like, it's like it, yeah, yeah it's that's why like, TikTok actually hurts my brain like you know not just a regular TikTok but when it's been like edited you know two seconds one second two seconds one seconds I like my I guess it's my my old Gen X brain can't handle it but it like so, it like does move your nervous system in a way that it was not yeah, it's like it I makes, think it's a disaster like, <laughs> like, extreme so I'm putting in the show notes, AKA our chat window, yeah. uh, a book okay. by a friend of mine uh, named Don Shuey. The book is called oh, The Paradox okay. of Porn. And it's a really interesting, you know, the paradox is that on the one hand, so he, so Don works with gay male communities and the book is wider than that. But like the example, like porn can be very liberating for people, like whether you're, so if you're exploring your sexuality, right. And you like get to, you get to know, and that was true for me in my twenties, actually, like oh, part okay. of understanding. Cause for me, I didn't have porn accessible in my, in my teens. Right, because uh, like my teens were still the eighties. Or older, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, it was the, there was no internet, man. So like, I right. remember it was literally old school. Like the you know like the guy would like somebody would bring like an old Playboy like that he stole from his dad, and like it was yeah. like very old school, wow. which for me for me I think is is actually part of what's in the screenplay is like this like this you know yeah it's just like it was a revolution right the internet was like a revolution you know in that in in that way and in every other way um anyway so for for don's book the paradox of porn like the paradox is on the one hand it can be so liberating and you know you can get to know know yourself and on the other hand right it can be literally addictive yeah. and you know for people who are in it i've you know i've definitely gone through periods where it's like too much porn you know too much you like and and it's a, and then i go back to some kind of you know, just rationing, like, okay, maybe every other day or whatever. Again, this is when I was younger. Um, so, no, I totally get it. And there's that, what was the movie with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he plays yeah, like... Yeah, Don Juan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because, like, I've had a crush on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's, like, exactly my age. Like, we were kids together, and I already had a crush on him, when, you know, in Third Rock. I was, like, his age. So it wasn't pervy because we were the same age. And yeah. I was, like... And then, like, he got older and, like, hotter and hotter and hotter. So it was so funny to see him in this, like kind of tragic role right like tragic sexualized role right where he's like jerking off all the time no i i totally get it and i, I was actually surprised. the first movie that i screened at the screening room at my day job no oh, way. well yeah 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 uh -huh. I, yeah i thought it was a really daring film precisely because oh, yeah. maybe a little ahead of its time because i think now 
maybe also like post me too and stuff, you know, like part of the challenge is like, especially with porn, especially for straight men, like yeah. a lot of what's in the porn is like definitely not okay anymore <laughs> in the real world. Right. Yeah. Like it used to be not that you would ever do exactly what's in like porn films, but like, you know, men don't treat women well in a lot of pornography to put it mildly, yeah. but like, you know, yeah. you could kind of, I don't want to say get away with it, but like that was a little more normalized you know, maybe 20 years ago, yeah. like, whereas now, like the gulf between porn and reality or acceptable reality, um, you know, is, is much wider. I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like there's a lot of like things that are kind of good for you that may stay just niche. Like they yeah. won't like be coming the next yoga, but like, what's the Wim Hof stuff, like the cold shower thing, you know about that? Oh, like, sure. I'm very into that. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So you're yeah. like a, you're a, uh, what? You're an aficionado. You're a, a gourmet, oh. a gourmet spiritual. You, you mean good porn? You, you see, you huh? mean good porn? Are you talking about good porn right now, or just? No, or, I'm not talking about. Oh, I was just talking oh. about seat retention being another one of those things. So there's like oh, taking cold so showers. There's yeah, like this. There's that. There's like eating. You know, this way, oh. that way, the other thing. Doing HIIT work workouts. You know, and like yeah. I think that this. I think that whether it's formally seed retention or just like less porn or something or fast porn fasting. You know, so Don actually leads leads people on a 30 day porn cleanse. You right. Know, and just like and you need a freaking support group for it because you're you've been using it and then you suddenly go cold turkey. It's hard, right? Yeah, it was so, uh it was the hardest I've because I've quit uh caffeine, alcohol, cannabis, cigarettes, like man, uh, you're nuts. I, quit, I, I love caffeine. <laughs> but like I would say the hardest one to quit phys physiologically was pornography. Like it was maybe made me pretty insane as a parent the idea of quitting caffeine feels like so beyond the pale like yeah you I have know. so much more energy it's a i know people say maybe one day for that yeah maybe but what but when you, you when you have to wake up at 7 a.m and like you just have to because that's when your kid is up and like i, I can't speak to that i'm not a parent but i will say that like i do not have the same problem of waking up like that that i used to where i would before I would have like five or six cups of coffee every day. And then I would like- Oh, you're a five cup person? Oh, yeah. okay. I'm a two cupper. So that's, all right, different. You're just, that's different. Yeah. You're just, I, you were I, just more I, of a junkie in all yeah. of these ways. <laughs> Let me just say one thing so let's say like, what, what vice that you've given up were you not like massively? Like how much did you oh. drink? Like, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I would, Okay, well, so you're Enneagram sevening the fuck out of this. Like, it's yeah, like first know, you're everything like everything hardcore in and then you're hardcore out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, drinking was a big deal in college for me. But then as I got older, it would just be like a I would just binge like maybe like once or twice a month. Like, do you uh -huh. binge drinks uh -huh. still or no? No, no, no. It's what happened for years. I actually I don't like the feeling. Yeah, the physical. Uh, I've, I've gotten when I just got drunk recently by mistake. I think it was like. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but it was like the Long Island iced tea phenomenon or something where I thought I was having two drinks, oh, but they were each like yeah. really, really. So like I got like drunk. I think it, was, it wasn't that long ago. Like I think last summer at some point in the summertime. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, this, oh, like what, what's the point of this? You know, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. I just remember the feeling like, oh my God, I used to really enjoy this, but I still like, um, again, this is like me being the suburban housewife, but like you know, that that glass of wine after the kid goes to bed is, is still pretty nice. Yeah. Not every day. I'll, but... I will say that the one book that was extremely helpful was a book called Dopamine Nation, which is related yeah, totally. to kind of, uh, the yeah, Wimpox book. Because I wish everybody would, like, if not read the book, read a review of that book. Or a podcast of it, whatever. Yeah, because what it explains is that if you cut out... Basically, what happened to me is when you cut out pornography, which is, like, any moment you can have sex with any amount of people 
any, you know, anywhere you go without any effort. And then, and then what happens is like, I would watch pornography after the marriage, it became more, more of that instead of, you know, regular sex life. And, um, and like, then I was just automatically want to eat fast food and I want to eat. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Cause I've, I've cut out fried food and I've cut out fast food, but it wasn't, it's not willpower. Cause when you're talking about putting things like there's no willpower involved anymore. It's like, yeah, no, I quit fast food with zero willpower. It just was like, I, I got to the point where I was just like, I would just feel how I felt after eating it. And yeah. um, it was just like gross. I just like felt like, gross. I yeah, smelled gross. Right. Yeah, it goes yeah. in your sweat. And like, you know, and it, and it's, I still like, I do, I do still like fried food. I still eat meat. Like I like a good, a really good hamburger and French fries, but whatever the hell they're putting in the fast food. But that was right. No, I think that's a key point for listeners. I yeah. think for any of these positive habits, right. It's like the willpower may be a gateway. Like you may have, you may need willpower for some period of time, yeah. but when you do get habituated, you know, you're, you do rewire and this is in dopamination. You like, you do rewire your reward circuits. Right. And yeah they and they get wired better right and so you you get the same you get all of the like you get all of those rewards but in a more concentrated and like better way right so like instead of like having 50 or 60 or 100 little dopamine hits a day you know maybe you get like one or two or something but they're you know they're really juicy right and it's like they're really satisfying right and no i think the hedonistic case for cutting things out is underrated well, I think, I think actually, because I think that when you said one or two, I think it's actually just a, a stream of good feeling instead of you're like in the zone and peaks, you're just, you're just mm-hmm. constantly flow state for me more and more, which feels like more of like a natural, like enlightenment experience than kind of, yeah, that's more than I am. <laughs> I'm not natural flow <laughs> well, state all the time. I don't know. I like I mean, my one or two dopamine hits a day, Okay, well, <laughs> but, but they're not, again, like they're not the cheap ass dopamine hits. Like yesterday yeah. I was on. Um, I was in the city yesterday, came back, I was on the train and um, just like looking, I was, I was going to do some work on the train, but I was a little tired. So kind of stared out the window and there's just this beautiful cinematic effect. The New Jersey transit windows are really gross and grimy because it goes through the gross and grimy part. And like, so the sunlight was like bouncing off the gross and grimy part. And there was like a little lattice effect from something outside from like a, you know, thing out structure outside. And it was just like so beautiful. And it was just this gorgeous little, it was that American beauty moment with the paper bag, the plastic bag, you know, but, but for real, you know, (laughs) not the cheesy one. It was just like, you know, I was like, this is so, this is so nice. Like, this is so beautiful. And then it passed and like, yeah, those like little moments feel really affirming. And, and that to me is also like a key thing for parenting because they're those moments come and go very quickly with yeah. a kid. And then you're back to like the less delightful parts. And um, yeah, for me, like that's just like mindfulness 101, like where it's like there's a moment that's really, you know, lovely in that little moment that if you if you don't, as Ferris Bueller said, you know, life goes by pretty fast. <laughs> if you don't stop around and look around, stop and look around, you might miss it. Uh, yeah. That's that's the great wisdom that your enlightened rabbi, Buddhist master, or teacher has to offer you, Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Can talk about Haggadahs. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about Haggadahs, have we? Oh my God. No. So you're, uh, not, you gotta, you're as bad I mean, at this I, as I, I am. That's why I brought you on, right? Promotion, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, well, let me, all right, let's go to, let's do the transition to Haggadahs this way. So now we've talked about like pretty, you know, awesome subjects that I find really interesting. Um, what's the itch that you're scratching by doing all these Haggadahs every year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, 
it's gotten it's i want to ask you if you because you, you i don't think you read the new one but like they've all kind of evolved in the sense that the trump one i, I mentioned earlier that i wrote it kind of out of like a satirical hatred towards him towards him and then the Haggadah itself was just like a it wasn't really that much about judaism it was more about like justice i remember you said that like yeah, judaism yeah. Is also about justice it's not about mysticism you maybe you can speak to that for a second. I'd say both and, but yeah, no, mainstream yeah, okay. Judaism certainly is. I mean, you won't find any mystical commandments in the Torah, for example, but you'll find, you know, a hundred or so about not oppressing the widow, widow and the orphan and setting up fair court systems and taking care of poor people and all of the things that we fail to do in our society, even now, 2,500 years later. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, did, I didn't notice an evolution so much as a like, you know, like for me, when that Trump Haggadah came out, you know, we were all Trump obsessed, right? It was like, there were a bunch of pandemic Haggadahs in 2020 and 21, you know, and it wasn't because like, because just, we were obsessed, right? At that at that time. Yeah. And and there were some pretty good ones actually that came out. So for folks listening, uh, I think I'm not going to do it this year. So it's going to be the end of like a 15 year tradition of me reviewing Haggadahs, which are these books that you use at the Seder, Passover Seder. And um, yeah, there were some pretty good. So I didn't, I didn't notice a like tonal evolution so much as just like changing the subject, you know, yeah. to th different things because we're less obsessed with with that one than we used to yeah. be. And what's interesting for me broadly, I'm, I don't know how them put this out, and then curious what your relationship is to it. Like, so the seder is is among the most widely observed Jewish rituals, yeah. and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's kinesthetic. There's like there's the family element. You know, there's the food and the special whatevers. There is also this ritual of the seder, which in many cases is done in a very monotonous way, like reading through a traditional text. Yeah, very and, yeah. you know, tragically, that's still I'm saying tragically a little ironic, okay. but like yeah, it's still right. it is still that way in a lot of places, a lot of families. Um, but in the last 20, 30 years, there's really been this um, renaissance of people making their own liturgies. And there's now a website called Hagadot.com where you can kind of, you know, roll your own. And there's like, you can I combine, you know, yeah, yeah. oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah, you know, you can like, even on your own, you can be like, okay, I'm interested in, you know, fashion gossip, uh, you know, uh, racial, racial justice and you know earth-based religious tradition and then you can like create your own haggadah with these different resources um that 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 trio could be pretty good actually yeah. uh yeah. so there's yeah. it, and i think it's really a, a a nice little quirky feature of contemporary mostly american judaism that there's this creativity happening and um yeah you know we i've i've always hosted like you know out there creative satyrs for the last 15 years or so but yeah, I'm still like, so why, you know, it takes time to write these things. Why this form you could write, there's so much to write about Kanye West, formerly. Kanye well, West. I think like, I think the thing I realized about Kanye is that like, he's, he's struggling with religiosity in a way that I think many people do. And also just people who are going through the spiritual awakening process. Like, I don't know, when you have awakening experiences, do you ever... I sometimes vast between like extreme conservatism and extreme liberal liberalism or progressivism, like within those contexts, the way that I see, I see him do. And, I, and, and um, even related to sexuality, like this is a little uncomfortable. So I'll just bring it up because it's honest is like, pornography was very queering for me. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I, 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 I watched so much pornography and got into so many different kinds that like, it was part of my evolution into like, thinking of myself as bisexual or as some sort of queer pansexual 
thing. And so as I've like removed myself from, from pornography, I know we're, I'm jumping around again, but it's almost like I've returned more to a more like 12 year old boy state before pornography. Like it was like, and so it's like, so I can understand some of the, the, the conservative culture where they're like, okay, this, you put all this stuff out there and then it actually like does more queering than, than it should or shouldn't. But at the same time, I feel bad saying that because I actually am still attracted to men sometimes too. Like I am like, I think what I'm, what I'm actually aware of is like of the alignment of, of if someone interested in me that I'm open, then I at least will consider being open to them sexually or romantically. And that, that is actually more valuable with women as well, because when you're consumed by pornography and, and, and Kanye was at, is a lot, like talks a lot about pornography, John, I know we're, this is supposed to be a guy conversation, but you know, I, like, I think when you're overwhelmed by pornography, you're just, your, your natural alignment with yourself and other people becomes skewed so that you just kind of want things from people or you want people in the way that they're not giving you the vibe back. And so I think in the sense that like, it, it may be queer mean directions, like towards like cuckolding or things that like, I actually wouldn't want in my life. It mm. did, it did open me up to like potential for being okay with, or I would be okay with my life. It was just like a, maybe what you're saying is, you know, a, uh, a healthier, you know, queer relationship or a healthier queer experience. Um, but back to Kanye, I would say that like the themes of this book are like the anti-Semitism, you know, is that, you know, you wrote about in the Rolling Stone article was kind of sparked by him and Chappelle. And so I wanted to like take on this hot button issue, which is, you know, how are we dealing with like the rise of anti-Semitism in our country? Like it does feel a little bit like we're becoming like Germany, you know, in, you know, hundred years later, like we, like China is rising and, and maybe they're that, I mean, you can't do a exact one-to-one, but like, are we, are we losing this, this war, you know, to, to anti-Semitism and, and why is that? And is it really related to religion or is it spirituality? Both. And so, um, sorry, I'm all right. Little... There were already eight questions in your last little yeah. bit. There. So sorry, plus sorry. I wanted, I'm going to do the anti-Semitism last because yeah. I don't want to leave some of these Kanye things hanging around. Well, I guess the, the non-anti-Semitic, anti-Semitism Kanye ones. Well, I think so, Kanye is religious, right? But he's not. Spiritual. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I learned from a couple of friends of mine, uh, who are black and who are clergy, okay. um, is like, kind of understanding some of the logics of the black church in particular, which, you know, was for many people and obviously not generalizing to everybody, but for many people was like the lifeline, you know, not in a, you know, for, for 150 years of, you know, unspeakable oppression and also the various social ills that come from that. Right. So whether it was poverty or drug abuse or, you know, a lot of single parent families, not by choice, but like, you know, with men leaving basically and leaving uh, the mothers to raise the kids on their own and the problems that that came like. And so there is a sort of um, binarism or a Manichaeanism, you know, between good and evil that you see a lot in a lot of black church rhetoric. And that's a positive, right? It's like, here is the way, you know, (laughs) Mandalorian, you know, like, right. Like this is the way, like stay to this. And because if you look to the side, what you don't, you don't see what I saw as a white kid growing up in the suburbs. So like when I looked to the side off of the way, I saw like fun pot smoking and like, you know, experimentation and basically safety you know, there was, I mean, at the time I was afraid of the cops, but I wasn't going to get arrested, you know, for, you know, whereas if you're, you know, a, sort of in a, 
a challenged community, a community of color, but like a community that's struggling, let's say with poverty and policing and all of the other things. You look yeah. to your side and what you see are gangs, hard drugs, strong yeah. possibility of incarceration. And also along with that, really shitty, abusive attitudes uh, toward women by men. Right. right. That'll have a lot of exploitation in them. And so more so this is me just channeling what my Baptist ministers <laughs> like, is, you know, oh. there is there is a way of seeing religion that for so when a, a lot of people, I'm going to say a lot of white people, but I'll just say this white person <laughs> sees uh, sees conservative religion. You know, there's a tendency to be like, oh, man, that's like oppressive conservative religion. Whereas yeah. when a lot of folks coming up in the black church experience it, they may be aware that like there's some conservatism there like whatever but what but it's not it's seen as right this is a path like this is a way to stay safe and to thrive and to lead a responsible life and to like actually you know to live literally to live and not be you know more likely to be victimized by police violence or gang violence or or incarceration yeah, wow wow so for me that's all that's been my lens and i learned that i didn't learn that like in a book or like and i certainly didn't learn that growing up like i learned that doing lgbt activism in the black church like not me personally but like working with black organizations black led organizations that were doing this this work and like really calling us out so i was in a, i was working as a funder at that point not with my money but in a foundation and you know a lot of these sort of liberal white led gay organizations are like you know, religion is the enemy or whatever. And a lot of our allies of color were kind of like, uh, yeah, you need right. to rethink how you're thinking and talking about this because that's not how it's experienced. Like you're not going to win people over in this community by saying, you know, religion is the enemy basically. So anyway, you know, that's been my lens with Kanye. I mean, I think for him, it, with him, it's clearly been also an issue of mental illness for the last several years, mm -hmm. you know, and since the, since the divorce is especially, but even before that, you know, mm -hmm. and he's, he markets that it is my dark twisted fantasy, right? It is like, like there's an awareness of, of that. And so like, it's hard to like tease out a little bit, like what's persona and what's reality um, yeah. with him. But yeah. When I've looked at his religiosity in particular, you know, including the sort of messianic, weird, narcissistic parts, you know, for me, it's it's coming from that language um, where well, like. Yeah, I think, well, one thing I want to talk about too is Lou, Lou Reed too, because when I was 21, I had a first manic episode and it was soundtrack to Velvet Underground's third album. And it was that kind of. That's easy the mellowest album to have a manic episode. No, right. Like, <laughs> you know, Lou Reed, like before he died, one of the last albums to review was Jesus, which is like all about that messianic. Like, he I'm reviewed it, like he wrote yeah. about it. Oh, he interesting. Loved it. it was like his favorite album of that year, uh -huh. like in a long time. But like, you're right, there is like that messianic, I am a god. And, um, then but I think it is it is not not a uh, diagnostically bipolar, but it is bipolar in the sense like he goes from one pole to the other, and it just feels to me like so I don't you know where he he's getting his anti-Semitism now from like what's called you know the Black Hebrews or Black Nationalists Black Israelites, yeah. and these guys have been around a long time, but I think it's for me interesting to like see and this I didn't write about much because it's a little in the weeds, but you know, it is interesting to see kind of the fusion of some of that. Like, here's this like pretty intense conservative Christianity, right. you know, coming along with, um, you know, this kind of awful anti-Semitism. But I also think that, and not to, if we could do Lee Reed in a minute, but like, I, you know, he and maybe secondarily Chappelle and Kyrie Irving got like a lot of attention 
but black anti-Semitism, while real, is nothing on right-wing white nationalist anti-Semitism, yeah, okay. right? Like the number of people, the proximity to power, you know, so like it is a thing. And also like kind of left-wing anti-Israel stuff can sometimes, sometimes slide into anti-Semitism. So those are both things. They're different things, but they're also different from the main thing. Um, which okay. is that our recent former president just, you know, had dinner with Kanye and a white you know, nationalist, like, you know, who's, who has the, like the most anti-Semitic ideas that's possible to have about the Holocaust and Hitler and stuff. So, okay. you know, I'm, I'm mindful of like, and especially what, you know, since you and I both have like a kind of pop culture lens on reality, you know, Kanye is a huge figure in pop culture. So it makes sense to center him, but he's not representative of where I think the real threats are. Well, I think I think one thing I wanted to say too is that like regarding that that black Hebrew thing, again, I'm a very like I kind of feel into things in a way that or maybe too superficial, but my my feeling of that is like black people were brought to this country or to this world and they lost all their traditions and their culture, you know, and then they have they are given Judeo-Christian background. They're like, here's what you have to believe, but they're not really a part of it. They're in a, in a right. sense they, they had to make their way in it. But then if they try to be creative in it the way that Haggadahs are very creative, like, like you were saying, last 20, 30 years, they try to say like, well, we were the originals or we were the 12th tribe. And then they're told like, you're not part of it. So there's actually this song like using um, Gold Digger. It's like Gaslight Us. It's like you've like basically, let's see if I can find it real quick. Um, like, this is in your Haggadah. Haggadah, yeah, just kind of using this as an example of like. She take my money when I'm in need. Yeah, she's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over time. That digs on me. Uh, she kill me, mom. Now, I ain't saying she a gold digger. Machine messing with no broke niggas. Now, I ain't saying she a gold digger. Machine messing with no broke niggas. Oh, oh, yeah, something that, yeah. All right. I, when I look at 19th century Christianity, it's the ultimate gaslighting. I cannot believe that right. there are masters who are, you know, telling their slaves that this is God's word, 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 that the stuff you may have believed in in the past is like witchcraft or evil or whatever. And it's God's word that you be enslaved. I mean, I can't, I can't think of the yeah. a more horrifying gaslighting than that. It's like that song is like, y'all take my culture when you made us leave. Yeah. Use a gaslighting friend. Indeed. Yeah. Use gaslighters way around the world. Like it's like, now I ain't saying use gaslighters, but y'all want, want us in your Christ, Judeo-Christianity. Now I ain't saying use gaslighters, but y'all make no space for our Judeo-Christianity. And so like the song is off, is like about like what would happen if we were still in touch with our traditions and our cultures and then we wouldn't have to adopt Judeo-Christianity and not be able to have a place with, within it. And so I'm not and you see a par- You see a parallel trend too in the Nation of Islam, right? So like, okay. you know, the Nation of Islam's account of islam is not historically accurate to put it mildly but again i see like similar to what you said there's like a reclaiming of this tradition you know from a a, you know a population that has had its own indigenous traditions or you know root traditions taken from it you know and stolen from it and yeah i don't i mean i don't i don't spend a lot of cycles thinking about the black israelites and the and black hebrews because like they're pretty fringy it's just it is you know notable that uh, not Chappelle but but that Kyrie and and uh, and Kanye West both have adopted this pretty fringe idea. Kyrie, on the other hand, as you know, you know, has adopted a lot of fringe ideas like flat Earth and COVID denial and go on and on and on. So like, you know, this is of a piece with that. Um, 
But I worry much more. I do spend a lot of mental cycles uh, worrying about sort of right-wing nationalism right. and the Tucker Carlsonization of America. And that, you know, I was I listened to the Rachel Maddow podcast Ultra, which is about Nazi sympathizers in the 1930s and 40s. Yeah. And when you say Nazi sympathizers, you probably think of like some like weird guy who supports the KKK in like some rural place or whatever. It was like six, 17 members of Congress who were in the America First Caucus and who were taking, knowingly taking German propaganda and spreading it to uh, to Americans. So it was not like actually some marginal weird thing. It was actually right in the center of the this wing of then the Republican Party uh, and a couple of Democrats as well, um, that this was you know, this was right in the center. And like, you take a step back and you're like, well, what was now like Nazi is like, they're like the villains, right? In Indiana Jones or something. But, you know, if you flash back to when that was a viable political system or a viable political option, what did it, what was it standing for? It was standing for like the integrity of the, of the, of the German people. It was standing for traditional values. Like we talked about before, like, you know, traditional religious values as well, like were folded into it with some, you know, weirdness. Um, And it was like, not that distant from American nationalism, you know, standing and like it redefined who a German was, not unlike the way, you know, these, a lot of sort of the MAGA world defines who an Amer- a real American is. And yeah. we see that all the time now in like the, the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, rhetoric and, you know, people in that wing of the party. So it's like that, I'm not like worried that that's going to turn into an anti-Jewish pogrom or something. And in terms of street violence in New York City, it's certainly true that the black anti-Semitism is a much more serious driver of that. There's a lot of like on the street level violence against Hasidim in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's very tough because we don't, as a progressive myself, I'm not going to go out there and be like, hey, you know, it's like black folks doing this. But statistically, that that is the case. And so I don't want to minimize that. And at the same time, you know, to me, like the idea that we're headed toward not quite, if it's not quite a civil war, then something like that. And, you know, is something I really worry about. And it, the fact that it's a huge amount of power, unlike the black Hebrews or black Israelites, it's a huge amount of power that's aligned with some of this evil is, is what does keep me up at night. Yeah. Hmm. I did watch the going to town later. No, I did watch that South Park episode that uh, reference. <laughs> oh, good. You're moving, to, you're moving to screenwriting. I, Isn't I have... that a weird speech though? Too, it's like we just had the whole episode, and then there's suddenly this like erudite speech by Kyle about anti-Semitism. We have a young man who is joining us here today to talk about stereotypes and the harm that they can bring. Young man, what is your message? My message is: we can't control what people say. So we have to be smart about what we choose to believe. If one idiot says that a certain group runs Hollywood, look into it. With very minimal effort, you will find that, quote, Hollywood is a multi-tiered industry run by tens of thousands of people from all over the world. In the past, Jews were shut out of most professions. So they came to dominate vaudeville, which back then was considered too lowbrow for good Christians. Those Jews eventually moved west and started the first movie studios when movies were also considered work for the underclasses. And their descendants are now a decent percentage of the thousands of people of all races that make Hollywood run. This young man has said in plain words what so many of us in Hollywood have been trying to get 
people to understand. To hear it all so plain and so passionate. This kid thinks about things the way we all need to. You know what I think? I think this kid should run Hollywood. It's Which, like, oh wait, it was pulled from our friend Jay Michelson, the rabbi. Who wrote the <laughs> like, I love popular, it. It's, uh, like, I was secretly hoping that you knew somebody who knew Trey and Matt and could just like send them a fanboy email from me. Damn, are they in LA or are they somewhere else? Because they're like, care, but I think they are represented by the agency I work for. Uh, so who isn't? Yeah, like, I mean that like it would just it would it's definitely a fanboy thing not an i'm going to sue you thing but it's just like no, no, it was just yeah, very, that was very right. that was, was very like, exciting we made it in america i, mean, I did I, I did pause the credits to see if i was thanked and i was not <laughs> well, did you see the credits though that they listed uh matt stone as the creator and trey as i the did also notice that and i, I was matt like stone has got jewish heritage and trey doesn't and it was a joke about like, like oh is that what that was i was like are they splitting up like i wasn't uh, sure because you know the tiktok is like a is like a theme through that there's like the yeah yeah, the yeah. character and then and they're like and who's who's actually making is a jewish guy actually in control of of the art yeah, so yeah. The joke was like, oh, <laughs> clever. See, they outclevered me. Thank you for that. Now my appreciation of that episode has been deepened. There you go. Try and find the magic. Started a little blog just to get some traffic. Now all my niggas designing and we all swagging. Uh, ignore the critics just to say we did it. Um. Well, we have we've gone pretty long, like usual. You know, we did a little bit of yay. I think. I think. So, would you say that Lou Reed is like your favorite? american jewish musician is that like a fair yeah i would say i you know i was i would say that lou reed is in the pantheon um yeah. you know there's like lou reed dylan leonard cohen of these sort of songwriter types you know on the day-to-day -day that i i listen to more electronic music than to like these old old white male singer songwriters but uh certainly in terms of my formative years and you know when i made music so i used to be i had a singer songwriter project and I was also in a garage rock band in my oh, uh, in my yeah. early late twenties, early thirties, and my music was trying to sound like Lou Reed. Um, I even did a I did a song called "The Alley Says," which is similar to his says songs like "Candy Says." Yeah. And um, no, I'm not. I'm so tempted to just play it right now. But oh, you should. Guitars. You should. No, I'm not yeah, going to do that. I'm out. My voice is out. I'm not going to. Can you send yeah. it? Rec you recording of it? Can you send it? I mean, I'll put it in the sh in the show. Like, uh, Ali says, I'd have to dig it up. That one's. Uh, there are a couple of videos. I'll send you that. Which I actually, the videos that are on YouTube of mine, uh, I sound more like Beck than than like Lou Reed. But you can still see the. You can still discern the influence. Um, yeah, you know, it's I I um I still even now like when I go to that genre. You know, there are others who are in on that level, like Joni Mitchell, for example. But like, you know, of the ones who like really stir a certain part of me, 
Yeah, definitely Lou Reed's one of them. I was just at, there was a, there's a new, I think it just closed in New York City. There's a new exhibit on, on Lou Reed that Lori Anderson, uh, mm. his widow. Uh, Lori Anderson hugged me last night. And it was a dream. I was in the house with her and Lou Reed and I saw some things that he had seen. Uh, helped put together from his archive. And yeah, it's great. I didn't realize... You know, it's funny, I almost want to wrap in Allen Ginsberg in there, not as a musician. But because, oh, I mean, a lot of people obviously were inspired by his poetry. The great dream of me or China or you in a phantom Russia or a crumpled bed that never existed, like a poem in the dark escape back to oblivion no more to say nothing to weep for but the beings in the dream trapped in its disappearance sighing screaming with it buying and selling pieces of phantom worshiping each other worshiping the god included in it all longing or inevitability while it lasts a vision anything more it leaps about me as I go out and walk the street. But, you know, these are all these like queer Jewish guys from Long Island. You know, I was born on Long Island. Yeah. I grew up in Florida, but I, you know, I, my first 10 years I did spend there. And, you know, Dylan's not queer, but, you know, he and Leonard Cohen are obviously Jewish enough <laughs> to put it mildly. And so, like, there's definitely an identity aspect to it. But, and I think um, there's just, you know, in Lou Reed in particular, there's this, um, aspiration to be a poet in a certain way that i mean he was a poet but that also is sitting alongside this kind of undergroundy grittier sensibility um and you know he almost he lucked into the velvet underground you know he was a little aimless at first and and was institutionalized briefly shock treatment and stuff his parents were trying to you know shock the gay out of him and and also the i would call them the maladjustment in the way that in the early 60s a lot of like maladjusted kids or juvenile delinquents or whatever were institutionalized or, or given shock treatment so, by the way i should shout out to the movie all the beauty and the bloodshed a documentary about nan golden whose sister went through that once i started sharing the work it was really heavy resistance she said this isn't photography nobody photographs their own life the work was incredibly political. Probably my whole life, the struggle to fight conformity and denial. A hundred thousand dead! There's the Sackler family of the art world, the museum world, and philanthropy. And then there's the big pharma marketing and addiction. It's personal when you think of the profit of people's pain. Nan said, I think we should take these people down. But do you think my career will implode? And I said, probably. Grow up being told that didn't happen. You didn't see that. And so that's the reason I take pictures. We need to demand that the Met Museum, the Louvre, the Tate, refuse donations from the Sacklers and take down their name. The wrong things are kept secret in society. And um, which is just a gorgeous documentary, so it came to mind. You know, and, and he found his way into this underground that was, no pun intended, that was like such a revelation, right? You know, mm -hmm. around Andy Warhol and the factory and the liberation that was there and the, the sexual liberation that was there. 
And, you know, I just think he created this incredible music. You know, you and I maybe are outliers in thinking that the third Velvet Underground album is worth as much attention as the others. Well, really, it's the Banana album. That's like, that's the one that's on the third one, right? As much? No. Yeah. And it's, it is sort of, you know, he, he, not only did he fire John Cale from the band, but he had the other guys, Sterling and Mo Tucker, do it. <laughs> he didn't have the guts to fire him to his face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very much his thing at that time. But he's also, unlike... Zone, yeah. Yeah, oh. but, the, you know, like, unlike a lot of his later work, like, he's still right in that really vital artistic scene. Yeah. You know, as time went on, obviously, he had, had masterpieces later in life, but, like, there was a lot of shit, too. And, you know, but at that time, in that late 60s, you know, it's such a vital scene that he was part of. And, you know, writing song, I mean, they were called transsexuals then, but writing song about someone transgender and, you know, Candy says on the first track of that was totally radical. And and I, I'm not sure I even knew what it was about when I first heard it, when I was like 18 or something. Um, but I knew that I've, I'd come to hate my body and all it required in the world. Like I could, I could resonate with that, with the shame and with the repression. And, you know, the, for me, um, the song pale blue eyes on that album, was about an unrequited crush I had on a straight friend of mine who had pale blue eyes. Sometimes I feel so happy, but mostly you just make me mad. Baby, you just make me mad. Linger on. And you know, in the in the song, it's it's with a married woman or married person. It was good what we did yesterday, and I do it once again. The fact that you are married only proves you're my best friend. Yeah. Um, and. You know, but again, there's that longing, I think, that was there in those uh, in those songs that just was so beautiful. I think that's why I had the, the episode to the album was because I had my own repressions during those first during those first years. I mean, I just the, the culture of sex at college at that time was just very drink oriented and very mm-hmm. like one night standy. And it wasn't the kind of love that I knew that was possible and that, that you're gonna get such an awesome wife <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> they're like your your uh, your views are somewhat rare you know and it would be like i would just feel horrible afterwards because you're i was gonna like, be wow. a hot ticket at some point soon well, i don't know yeah <laughs> well, I feeling like i was feeling like the whole culture was vile at college yeah, like just like very vile sex culture i mean tom thomas wolf wrote like a whole a book at that time about you know uh, about what was going on yeah i, I am sure like whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah and then like the pale blue eyes was yeah that like that ideal unrequited thing it didn't have to be even embodied in a person because it wasn't at that mm-hmm. time it was like mm-hmm. thought of you as my mountaintop thought of you as my peak 
Then it went into the next song is Jesus. And uh, I'm getting to see the light. And then, you know, I'm set free. So, so I feel like, is there some sort of like story there for both of us where yeah. it was like we had repression and then we had un unsatisfying sex and then we had a spiritual awakening and then we did come back. And then the, and the last two songs, last three songs are like, there's the happy song about like, this is that story of my life. There's no good or bad. like accept who you are and then like the murder mystery is you know if you don't do it if you don't accept you know you keep you keep struggling candy screen rappers have still been fantastic quiet memories about lovely and guilt-free lurid lovely with twilight pages luscious diamond filled with laughter black kind of cables on me for the passion but it justify my spirit's desire and then the last song is you kind of uh, go back to the beginning like open the door if you don't open the door this time you can open the door next time and go back to the beginning that's that's kind of like how i looked at it then but even then i was like much more egoic and so the awakening wasn't like the 35 year old version where i was able to see that everybody was guy i just thought myself was guy like kanye <laughs> Hurry up with my damn massage. Hurry up with my damn menage. Get the Porsche out the damn garage. I am God. Even though I'm a man of God. My whole life in the hand of God. So y'all better quit playing with God. Oh, that's, that, that's that little mistake. 
Yeah, it's a huge and small and little. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, you mustn't admit it. The hallmark of insanity is to know that you're God. That's absolute taboo. Not only in the Christian religion, because Jesus got crucified for knowing that. And the Christians said, okay, okay, Jesus was God, but let it stop right there. Nobody else. But the gospel was the revelation to us all that the Hindus knew forever. Tatvamasi, you're it. And if Jesus had lived in India, they would have congratulated him for finding out instead of crucifying him. There are many people in India who knew they were God in disguise. Because it's not an exclusive claim. I alone am that, but you all are. So we're in a situation where it's a taboo. We mustn't admit that we know who we are. Uh, yeah, I it's funny. I like I like your interpretations of the later songs. I always saw those as kind of throwaways to be honest. Oh <laughs> yeah. Right. My life eh. and like Murder Mystery was like a was a hangover from the John Cale days really, right? right I mean, right. historically that's that's yeah, the case. Yeah. You know, After Hours is just beautiful. Like there's just a simplicity. For me it's almost in the in the contrast between After Hours and the lyricism of those first five songs. Um, you know, which is really well delivered by like Mo Tucker, who's you know not a good singer in any conventional way, but there's just like this artless like delivery thing. It's so nice. that's really beautiful, yeah. And um, but that's interesting. At least the first few. What's the one that we didn't do? What goes on? Uh, well, what goes on? The... It's Candy says, and some kind of love. Some kind, some of, kind love of love, right? Like some kind of love is like the masterpiece, right? Yeah. You know that to me. For, I've quoted that so many times. <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know. And it's I, I think... and expression is like the definition of repression, right? That's a gorgeous like... line. Some kind of You know, I think his that line, on my view, instead of your view, uh, yeah. some yeah. kind of love, the possibilities yeah. are endless, and for me to miss one would seem to be groundless. And some kinds of love, the possibilities are endless. And for me to miss one would seem to be groundless. That is how I see it. You know, like I definitely am as an Enneagram seven, you know, concerned about FOMO yeah. and I've pretty much ticked all of the boxes <laughs> on the sexual uh, bug. I don't know. The possibilities are endless. I haven't missed that many. <laughs> um, so yeah. I feel like pretty good. Situations like I've covered that base, but definitely, but definitely, um, you know, that is an animating line and, um, which is the one where he's like, where it's a, it's coded for like getting fucked. Right. I don't know if you know that, but jelly on your shoulder. Let oh, us do yes, yes,
you know, it's all about, and like, it's so coded, you know, I thought I was making it up. So then I like read some articles and we're like, apparently that was, it was like his, this is like his talking about it. And yeah, I mean, you know, S BDSM in the first album. these like for me what's liberating about it isn't it's not the jacob frank thing that it's the transgressing of the taboos although i guess that's interesting but it's it's like seeing myself represented you know there's like the big queer film short bus right which for a lot of people was like oh my god this is the most explicit non-pornography i've ever seen which i guess is true for me too it is the most explicit non-pornography i've ever seen but like that was my life (laughs) Right. I mean, I've I'm been to excited. parties like that. I've been in those situations. Like that was, it's not again at this phase of my life, but like, so seeing that represented, you know, first in those songs, you know, from the sixties and then the movie from whatever it was the nineties, two thousands, two thousands, I guess. Um, like that for me was, um, it's like, yeah, just being seen, you know, that sounds like a little, like there's a little like annoying identity politics wokish way in which that's said now like we're talking about representation and stuff but that's also true yeah. you know god knows what it's like for like a asian kid to see you know everything everywhere we you know win the oscar and just even see the film yeah. and see i have friends who like i have one friend of mine who's filipino american who just like did this beautiful post about you know how his mother was so much like the mother figure and this was his experience as like the child of these immigrants and who were you know and um it was just you know, and then the phantasmagorical elements of it for him were just like also his life, you know, just like seeing this like explosion into psychedelic amazingness. Mm. So I, I had a little bit of that too myself, you know, seeing that in Lou Reed and, and seeing in other figures like that and Allen Ginsberg, like a kind of, and you know, everything, every, everything, everything, everywhere also isn't just like an all happy story, right? There's a lot of like difficult stuff in that and that was that's true in Lou Reed and in Ginsburg as well like it's not just like you know there's this like annoying ass narrative the coming out narrative of like yay everything's great now and that's not how it rolls right and and um so there's yeah you know I think there's just like man I really wanted to be Lou Reed and I'm friends with a close friend of Laurie Anderson um I've I've hung out with her through this friend and you know it it's just like oh man i want to be laurie anderson too right for yeah, for her yeah. art and for like being yeah. married to Lou Reed, and and oh, right. you, know, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know they just like yeah. led this like both of them and it's such a love story too you know i mean they were they were pretty you know both a little later in life you know but like found each other and um both yeah. creating such vital work like this amazing work I, I I think we should think about doing the shuffle. I want to be conscious of your time. It's been yeah, I know. I got to get back to my my money making day job. Um, That's what I've been answering. I answered Slack messages when you were looking up uh, whatever it was you were looking. Oh, up. good. Okay. All right. What so, does do the shuffle mean? Well, yeah. So basically, do you have a playlist? I mean, we we could do the Lou Reed version, or we could just like. What I like to do is just set set an intention for like 
what do you want to think about? Um, and then shuffle. I could go first if it's easier for you, or you could go first. Um, I, I, if you have, a, I would use my big, my big playlist. Do you have, if you have like a Lou Reed playlist you want to use, or if you have any playlist you want to use, is fine. Yeah, I'm not such a playlist queen. Um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I feel like part of what I'm experiencing in this, in this podcast is like the depth of your knowledge. And like, if we're both Enneagram sevens, it feels like you really went to five uh, a lot <laughs> in your life. Fair. And, uh, I have and an eight of, wing though. Well, you have an eight wing. Yeah, here's I'll my music. I'm a six wing. Yeah, I was a little bit anxious, more anxious in that way because I, I was feeling some anxiety in this context of like, man, I'm saying some things I'm not sure I believe in. What I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I like don't have like I can't like recall some of the things I like sort of have on the tip of my tongue. Well, or, man, you quoted me and I didn't even remember that, so <laughs> I don't remember what I say. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like. I'm feeling like some elements there I want to shuffle about is like, what do I need okay. to do to deepen to get? To All right, let me, you do yours and then I'll model based on. Uh... Okay. So I'm going to say like, like, what do I need to, what do I want to know in my, in my relationship with Jay and in, in, in trying to use that mentorship relationship to further myself and my own teachings or we want to call it. Um, All right. Here we go, Jay. Let's see. Jay, what do I need to learn? It takes a long time to when it finally does do the actual real shuffle. So, because it's, so, uh, it's shuffling all your saved songs? Shuffling 95,000 songs. And if uh -huh. the Zoom is going, it is like. It's so a song called The Bucket by Kings of Neon. And you uh, can listen to a little bit of it, or I can just jump right to the. I'm looking at the lyrics. Oh, you are. I'm looking at the lyrics now, too. Oh, I know the song. Yeah, I kind of like the song. The one to show you the way. The one to always complain. There, that's all oh, I want. So I'll be the one to show you the way. You'll be the one to always complain. I'm talking about you mentoring complains. me. And you're saying, I'll be the one to always, <laughs> to always complain. I feel like... I feel like, you know, we both have moments of complaining. I mean, the outro is all, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you the way. What do you think about that? Like, uh, I mean, it's, uh, if only I really thought I was a guru, that would be perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the other but thing. But I'm the anti-guru, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I think too, like I think you know maybe you'll show me the way when you work with someone that you you're both you're grooming each other because you're like creating a new you know thing out of the out of the process um yeah interesting I'm gonna show yeah 18 18 too is a real it's a high number right it's a high number but plenty of balding balding you're balding <laughs> I, you know we're both stars I, I you're you know, sort you're, of golden hair-ish yeah, 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 you have yeah, like I don't know. yeah your heart was yeah we talked about that what yeah. this is really about is um you know you can interpret anything yeah okay well <laughs> i thought we disagree right yeah uh, all right let's see you get though let's see maybe maybe you'll have some sort of uh, i just want to see on my hard drive because i'm old i still well, have a music folder I mean, that's what you that's what your 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 screenplay was about is like the the, the ramifications of not streaming basically so how do i right how do i shuffle if we did two numbers three numbers the first number could be the artist the second could be the album and then the third number could be the track so we would need three random numbers so should we numbers? do that i'm gonna go to random number generator okay this is one of the weirdest things about Paul, my partner, 
when he's like trying to think or bored or whatever, he goes to and he has an app on his phone that's a random number generator. And he finds that, that too, like I am finds or? that clarifying somehow. Yeah, All right. Minimum one man random a hundred. Generate. Sixty one. Okay. What's the sixty first? We will not count individually. So each page is Twenty twenty two. Okay. So that is forty four. Okay, forty four, forty six. I, no, I have no context of what's happening, but I love the I'm number. counting directories forty eight. Don't disturb me. Oh, 50, right. 52, 54, 56, 58. Oh, this is gonna be annoying. Oh, sixty. Okay, sixty one. Uh it's gonna be a Florence and the Machine song. All right. Well, you know? uh yeah, she's pretty uh god heavy i guess she doesn't mean that much to me though i don't even know this song lover That's to lover lover to lover lover to lover let's look it up are you hearing it or is it just going I through mean, my headphones Interesting. That's pretty good. Yeah. So it's about like going from. Oh, this is me. This is right. This is my sexuality vibe. Going from road to road, bed to bed, lover to lover, and black to red. But I believe. I believe that's you, man. Wow. There's no, but there's no salvation for me now. Yeah, I don't believe that. Oh, me now. Wait, you don't believe in salvation? Among the clouds. I don't believe in salvation. Salvation from what? Oh, no, I'm just trying to understand what that means to you. Oh. Well, what it means traditionally in that kind of lyric is like, no hope for me and I'm heading down, but that's all right. So, yeah, that's what I agree. There is no salvation because I don't, there's nothing to be saved for. So, yeah, I'm heading down, but that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on on that. Your song. No salvation for me now. No space. Lover to lover, bed to bed. No no salvation for me now is how it ends. Yeah, you're just like, I'm not. So then, so then when you say like, yeah, this is like a declaration of not needing salvation. Yeah. And also about like going from bed to bed, lover, lover, and just being who you are effectively. And, and... Yeah. Most, again, that is more of the past than the present, well, but. make the music release the music i'm i'm actually working with a music uh artist on like making a like a film of her or a music video which i've always wanted hmm. to do i'm thinking more and more about you know going back to doing some stand-up comedy like some spiritual stand-up comedy and then That'd be great that's there's there's definitely a space for that do you know todd strauss schulson 
He's I do know not, him. Yeah, 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 he's like a not a famous filmmaker. You know, he made a film yeah. about a meditation retreat. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. His I, he put, he just put out a book, which is like a children's book, but also for adults, which I think is fantastic, called yeah. "Your Mind Makes Thoughts the Way Your Butt Makes Farts." Oh, and wow, I love I love it. I love that book. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get your film list of best spiritual films. Well, hmm, uh, I'll have to email to you because I'm so bad off the top of my head. I will say that like I do want to do the porn story as like a stand up five minutes. Like I'm like do something. That'd be great. Yeah. Plus you'll get girls on it. Yeah, maybe the right kind, the right kind of girls, the ones who want the relationship. Yeah. No, I mean everybody wants that. I, I if you lived uh, here, I would already be setting you up with a single oh, man. How you're like forty now? How old are you? I was at thirty nine, but 39. I keep down. People, I'm hanging out with like people are always like, "Are you my age?" Like no matter what age. No, I'm you like. look like thirty three, thirty four. Actually, yeah, you don't yeah. look twenty three, twenty four, but you, you look yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. My my friend is probably too old for you because she's like forty one. Um, yeah 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 no no she's in new york you're you're not it's not gonna work out but like yeah no your your stock is only gonna go up as time goes on the real thing with the chi and like the the you just you you do keep the esoteric juices in you like do you that's did you I believe that? that yeah i doesn't i i just feel like like i said on the thing you know i can't i just don't feel like it's a it's a practice i can do in a healthy way but I definitely believe what you said. Like there, and I know a lot of other people who have reported the exact same thing. Like it's, it's, there are clearly some related energies, not just similar, but like related, closely related, you know, erotic energy, chi, whatever it is like, you know, and it makes sense if you keep it in circulation, it's more available. Like that's just obvious, right? That's, and um, I, I have like, I hold out hope that like, not just hope, but like almost an expectation that in like 10 years, if I'm still around, you know, libido goes down, you know, and like, yeah. so as that like becomes less present in my life, I thought it might happen becoming a parent, then that didn't happen. Then I thought it would happen moving to the suburbs. It still didn't happen. It <laughs> happened a little, like it's definitely way less than yeah, you thought years it ago. Yeah. But, um, so, but I still think that like, as the natural energy level decreases, um, that these, this way of practice might become, might open up more for me. Yeah, I can see. I can see it. I can see it. So um, let's let's all right. Let's, let's do end it. Let's here wrap. and just just say like, you know, I uh, I just I, honestly just get involved in anything. Jay has like the longest link tree. I thought I had a long link tree. Jay has like the longest link tree I've ever seen with so many articles and um, you know ways to work with him or see what he's done and and learn from him. So I recommend going to his link tree. Or what else would you recommend? Kind of jaymichelson.net. Yeah, but uh, and I'm now, <laughs> I know I'm on CNN. I'll be on twice in the next week, uh, and they're CNN Tonight Show, and and maybe uh, reg hopefully regularly in the future. So CNN, everybody. <laughs> hey, I don't know how many other how many other guests recommended that, but oh, it's a great. different a different part of my life. But it is actually a more integrated part. I'm sort of uh, being trying to be like the CNN rabbi a little bit and uh, try that. to bring some of that ethical thinking to you know, the crazy stuff that we're looking at. That's, that's incredible. Okay, guys. Uh, so keep, look out for that. I'm going to put that in the show notes and we'll probably get this one out pretty soon because the Haggadah, you know, got to try to sell Haggadah, even though I, I think I said some crazy Kanye type stuff. You said about five words about the Haggadah. Oh, really? oh, yeah. all right. That's all right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Happy Passover, everybody. Yeah. Happy Passover. Thanks so much, Jay.